Hey, this is Jim, pastor of Decided Church, and this is our podcast. Thanks for listening. We hope the sermon you're about to hear just blesses your heart and really encourages you. If you don't mind, subscribe. That way you'll get instant notifications every time a sermon is uploaded. And by all means, if you're feeling led to give, click on the giving link and there'll be more directions to follow. God bless. Enjoy the message. From the couch, the living room, hopefully not the bathroom, although I know a few people like that, but (laughs) uh, mostly guys. Um, But we love you. We do miss you. Like Will said, we can't wait to see your faces and be with you in person. And we are, if you're just catching this live stream or it's been a minute since you've cut out some time for church, thank you for joining us. Uh, We count it a privilege to bring Uh, bring the word to you and come to you live from Decided Church. We're in the middle of a series entitled Wells. And the question we're asking is, what fills your soul? We did this sermon series last year, so this is a a remix of sorts. In fact, uh, in my notes, just to distinguish these sermon notes from last year's sermon notes, I've been titling it Wells Remix so that I don't get all my notes confused. But... uh, We have been looking at stories in the Bible, both Old Testament and New Testament, of things that happen around wells, whether it's a conversation or a life event like last week was. Not too many conversations happened there, but there were some major life events where God was speaking to us through Hagar and Ishmael. And the week prior to that, we looked at Moses' well, Uh, the well of the Midianites, and we've had a great time looking at these conversations, looking at these stories that happen around wells. Today's is a little bit different there than the rest of them. Uh, This is, today's well story isn't recorded in Scripture. It's not there. We're not going to find a story. We're not going to find a conversation around a well. There's not... um, There's not a historical narrative to follow this morning around a well, but it's just the same, so rich of a well, so deep of a well, and we can all find, we can all find our own stories in this passage that we're going to read today. What am I talking about? Just to give you a little bit of background, we're going to be in the book of Isaiah today, Isaiah's shortest chapter, you'll be happy to know. Isaiah chapter 12, so if you're there in your living room or your kitchen, you can open your Bibles or open your phones to Isaiah chapter 12, the shortest chapter. Isaiah is probably my favorite book, it's kind of hard to say. Uh, If you ask my wife, my, my likes and dislikes change on the daily, sometimes multiple times in the same day. Um, but if I had to pick one of my top three books of the Bible, Isaiah is there. And I was supposed to preach about one of those well stories this morning from the book of Genesis, I believe. I can't even remember now. Maybe it was in Exodus, but that's how relevant it was to me at the time. But the Lord really pressed into me to preach on Isaiah chapter 12, where we find not a story about a well, not a conversation around a well, but just simply an opportunity for us to look into our own well. What am I talking about? This is going to be an anti-gym sermon, and 
And for those of you who tuned in to hear three alliterated points and, you know, whatever, nicely packaged, alliterated, it ain't happening today. So I'm sorry if you tuned in for that, but uh, it's not what I have for you today. Maybe some of you are shouting for joy because you can't stand the three alliterated points. Well, it's your lucky day because I don't have that for you. Uh, Just six verses that I want to unpack for us today. Really, only three. And it's all found in Isaiah chapter 12. This well that I'm talking about is personal. We're going to read a passage of scripture. You'll see the word well there. But it's not a story. It's not a conversation. It's a theme. And it's an opportunity for you to do your own digging, for you to do your own reflecting on what this well means in your life. It'll make sense after we read it. So let's just do that. Isaiah chapter 12, in verse 1, you will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. Verse 2, behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid for the Lord God is my strength and my song. And he has become my salvation. Now, everybody tune into verse 3. This is where we're going to park it for the majority of the sermon. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. I think that we should all stand and recite that verse aloud together, and then we'll finish the chapter. So wherever you are, whether you're knee-deep in a bagel or whether you're doing your bulge, it's kind of late for breakfast, but some of you guys are just waking up for breakfast. I understand. So put your bagel down. Put your Fruit Loops to the side. Let's all stand and read this verse together. With joy. That's our key word for the year, by the way. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Thank you. Good job. Verse 4, and you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, proclaim that his name is exalted, sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth, shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. Let's pray. Jesus, if anything else, we want your, your, your power and your manifestation today to do exactly what we sung about in that song, Broken Vessels, Amazing Grace. We want to reflect upon our salvation. We want that experience, that time and that place to be rich in our lives once again. God, I don't know how long it's been for some people, but I know personally I do not revisit that well often enough. So remind us today of exactly how you found us, when you found us, where you found us, and help us to draw with joy from the wells of our salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Our goal is simple today, and it is this. Your salvation should be be a memorial in your life like a well. We have a core value at Decided Church that goes like this. Memorialize, don't demoralize. Demoralization happens because circumstances, life events, seasons of time go by where you don't hear from God. You may not see God moving in your life. There's nothing to get excited about. Maybe you don't have all the warm, fuzzy emotions that you like to feel. 
and we go through seasons of drought. We go through seasons where life isn't so great. It's called the hills and the valleys. But a core value that we find all over Scripture, whether it's the children of Israel, whether it's Deuteronomy 6, whether it's the New Testament, we find a principle where God teaches us to memorialize, to set up landmarks, to set up even physical representations of what God has done in our life so that through the dry seasons we can go back and either look at these things, touch them, feel them, be reminded of them. I was just talking to Hunter this morning in my office about all the memorials that are in my office. We've got a pair of drumsticks that we broke the first time we had drums. I've got a seashell with a quote from one of the sermons that we did many months ago. We've got old prayer sheets of way back in 2011, the things we were asking God to do and looking back in 2020, we can rejoice and we can celebrate that God has checked all those things off. We've got so many memorials. I mean, there's tons. I've got uh, just some rolled up papers of old leadership retreats where we first mapped out visions and goals and plans. And it's fun to go back and look at those things because it's a reminder of God's faithfulness. What Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah is telling us to do with our salvation is treat it like a memorial. And what we, if we haven't said this yet, The thing about this entire sermon series, both last year and this year, is that wells in the Bible, in Scripture, wells are memorials. There's always an instance or a story where somebody is revisiting an old well or digging an old well, digging new wells. Wells are memorials in Scripture. So it fits right in with one of our core values. And today, although we don't have a story, we don't have a conversation, we do have an opportunity to look into our own salvation and dig a well there. In fact, I would propose to you that the well has already been dug for you. It was the work of Jesus. It was no work of your own. But what we can do is go back to that well, go back to the time and the place, the location, the date, of our salvation. And the Bible says in verse 3 that with joy we draw water from the wells of salvation. So I'm going to spend the rest of the time unpacking that for us. We're looking for a place we can go back to and back and back again to draw the waters of worship from. Can you point back to a time and a place where God saved you? Have you experienced that well? Maybe you're sitting here and you're like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I know that there is a God. I know that uh, there's a lot written about God. I know that he died on a cross, but I've never made that personal. I don't know what it's like to go back to a well of salvation and draw strength from or, or draw worship from. I don't have that as my own. And so my prayer for you today is to realize what God has done on your behalf. But for you, Christian... For you, believer, for you, decided church family member, when is the last time that you went back to that well in your life, the well of salvation, you went back to that spot, that day, that time, and you drew, you drew strength. You drew strength from that. Or maybe you just went back to praise God because you are so far 
vastly different of a person now than you were when God found you. Amen? So we're going to talk about that amazing grace today. What a great song to set up the stage. And they did a great job, by the way. I know Amanda, our fearless worship leader, is not with us, but we had three other worship leaders that did a great job. Thank you, Serena and Cameron and Stevie. Um, the Jansons are out of town this week. Uh, it was McKenna's sixth birthday, so they're, uh, they had a little birthday trip for McKenna, but we are so glad that we had um, just servants of the Lord to step up and volunteer in their place. But I want to do a little background. What you, what you need to know about Isaiah chapter 12 is that it's really a continuation of Isaiah chapter 11. So if you're there in your Bibles, what happens is that the prophet Isaiah is, he's doing a little bit of prophecy. He's doing a little bit of foreshadowing, foretelling of events that'll happen in the future. They haven't happened yet. And the way he does that is he sets up the stage of what it's going to be like one day in heaven. What it's going to be like when the Redeemer comes, the ultimate Redeemer, the, the ultimate sacrifice who comes and he describes this in Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 1 through 3. He talks about this spotless lamb, this root of Jesse, the stump of Jesse, and the spirit of the Lord is on him. And it talks about how Christ, through Moses, delivered the children of Israel. And the entire chapter is about how the Lord delivered them from Egypt. He delivered them through the wilderness and is talking about how there will be eventually a spiritual redemption where we're delivered from this body of Egypt. We're delivered from this physical earth of Egypt and we're delivered into the promised land of heaven one day and we're going to worship there and we're going to be so grateful for all that he did. And then he gets to chapter 12. So after he's retelling the stories of the children of Israel being redeemed, being brought out of Egypt, being brought out of sin, if you will, he gets to, to chapter 12 and he just kind of lays it out for us. And this is some type of worship service we're going to have in heaven. Like I said, this is, this, this is prophecy. There's a little bit of history here, but he's ultimately pointing to the future. He's saying there's going to be a spiritual redemption. There's going to be a spiritual journey. And one day when we're there, when we're delivered, we're going to worship Jesus. We're, this is going to be a heavenly worship service. So we're literally reading in chapter 12, we're literally reading about an event that's going to happen in the future, a worship service, some praise that's going to happen futuristically. This is prophecy, but it has so many current applications for us today. And so we find in verse 1, as the prophet Isaiah is worshiping Jesus and telling us about a worship service that's going to happen in the future, a holy worship service that's going to happen futuristically. He says, you will say in that day, verse 1, I will give thanks to, to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away. Kind of an odd way to start a worship service, right? Speaking about the anger of the Lord. Another way to phrase that is his, his holiness, his, his justness. 
And it seems like, why would you start out a worship song, a worship service, talking about the anger of the Lord? But it makes perfect sense when you start to think about what he was angry at. He was angry at our sin. He was angry at our rebellion. And if you know anything about the children of Israel, there's no lack of situations where God was ready to wipe them out. Why? Because he didn't love them anymore? No. But because they had rebelled against him, they were literally the enemies of God. before he redeemed them. And that reminds me of Romans 5, 10, Romans 8, 7 through 8, where the Bible explicitly shares with us that while we were dead in our sins, when we were separated from God, the Bible calls us his enemies. Apart from God, see, apart from him saving you, which we're going to get to in a minute, we're all destined to spend eternity separated from God in hell. We were the enemies of God. Like it or not, whether you're a really good moral person, whether you've been a church member your whole life, whether you've been baptized, it doesn't matter if you haven't come to God and accepted his salvation on your behalf, you're his enemy because you're trying to make a way to God on your own. We were once the enemies of God. And see, a lot of people, they look at the God of the Old Testament and they point fingers and they say, see, the Bible is so irrelevant. Why, why would you want to worship a God who is so wrathful and so judgmental? There are stories where he wiped out entire nations, entire people groups, including women and children. And we get to the God of the New Testament. If we're not careful, we say, I like that God a whole lot better. See, I can get behind this type of religion because this God seems like you know, this is the spirit, this is the comforter. He comes in and he guides us and he shows us and he illumines scripture and he says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Cast all your cares upon me. Um, I will make your yoke easy and your burden is light. The Lord is my shepherd, yada, yada. And we're not careful. We, we start to think of the God of the New Testament as all loving, all grace and no wrath, no judgment, no holiness. And it's the same God, folks. It's the same, it's the same person. The only difference is he took all that wrath and he took all that judgment that you deserve because you were his enemy and he placed it on one person. He placed it on his son. So it's not that the God of the New Testament has somehow turned from his wrathful, holy ways and become just all loving and merciful and gracious. No, is that his anger and his wrath was satisfied. And it was satisfied only because somebody was willing to take it for you. All of God's wrath and his, and his condemnation and his anger was poured out on Jesus on the cross. And that's a New Testament event, by the way. So before we start to just write off this worship service, like, ah, anger, why am I, why am I worshiping God for his anger? No, his anger is a wonderful and beautiful thing because you didn't have to endure it. You didn't have to experience it. It's a good thing that God is angry and wrathful and just God. If all he was, if all he was was love and grace, we would never understand how much our sin hurts him, how much our salvation cost him. Without the perspective of God's wrath and judgment, we don't know how to respond. You see, if all God was just love and mercy and grace, there would be no worship service because we wouldn't understand how much we were delivered from. 
I got a great quote that I'm excited about. It's by Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of my favorite, man, he's an old guy. He's dead and gone, but he was a great preacher in Great Britain. And he said this, this is a quote that I love. And I hope that you'll just, maybe if it doesn't hit you right now, it'll hit you tomorrow or the next day. It's one of those quotes. It's short, it's simple, but it says this, until I know how much he paid, talking about Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. Until I know how much he paid, I don't know whether to shake his hand or fall at his feet and kiss the ground. Without God's wrath, without God's judgment, without a, without a proper respect and appreciation that we were the enemies of God and that God was angry at us because of our sin, but that sin was taken for you by Jesus and all of God's wrath and judgment was poured out on him as the ultimate sacrifice for sins. And until you get a proper respect for that and until you understand where Jesus found you, folks, you don't understand, there would be no worship because you would, you, you, it would just be a transaction. I would, it's like I would go to, go to Hunter after the service and say, thank you for running ProPress today. I appreciate that because you did it. I didn't have to. But no, that salvation is not just a transaction, folks. It's, it's a complete and total propitiation. It's a complete and total picture of how God takes all of his wrath and condemnation and pours it out on Jesus and the sky went black and the veil was torn from top to bottom. I'm getting tangled up in my microphone cord. Um, But other than that, the point is that until we understand God's anger and wrath and his judgment, we don't have a proper response to his salvation. It's like this. I look around at some people's spiritual walk, and if I'm not careful, I'm like, man, they were just, you know, they were, they were doing pretty good before God, and it just seems like they kind of floated into his grace. They just kind of meandered their way into his love, and they were a pretty, pretty okay person, and then they got saved, and they're just even more pretty okay. And I just look around at some people's spiritual lives. I don't know if anybody else is like this, but it's like, man, like, I mean, I hope God means something to them. I'm sure he does. But it seems like they had all of their stuff together even before they met God, and it's like they just kind of wandered into his love. Bro, I'm here to tell you, I'm so messed up, I tripped and fell over his grace. Like, I stumbled into his love. That's how messed up I was. And so I really relate with people who have really banged up stories, banged up lives, just... Their entire self-history is a dumpster fire until God's salvation comes and redeems it and, and, and it's put out and their life is totally restored. You know what I'm saying? So you got some people that float into it. They just kind of flitter into God's love and his grace. I know that's not actually true, but that's how sometimes it comes across. And then there's people like me and there's people like Will and our lives are just dumpster fires and we just literally chaotically stumble and fall into God's grace. And so for you, if you're not able to look at your life before Christ, BC, and you're not able to see how messed up and jacked up you were, you probably don't have a correct appreciation 
for your salvation. For example, and this, this will be it and then I'll move on. A lot of people who were saved at a really young age, like four, five, six, that is a beautiful thing. And that is a wonderful thing because guess what? Their lives are spared sometimes of a lot of misfortune, a lot of accidents, a lot of wasted years, right? But I do, sometimes there's a little parts of me that feel bad for people who are saved at so young because I wonder if they have a total mental grasp of how awesome God's grace is in relation to what they deserve, which was his wrath. Does that make sense? And so for me, I kind of get both, I get the best of both worlds because I was saved at the age of five. I firmly believe that. I understood what Jesus had done for me, but see, my life went awry after salvation. And so I spent a lot of wasted years chasing um, lust, sinful desires of the flesh, sexual gratification. And then after, at the end of my rope there, when I truly experienced who, what, who God was to me, when my salvation became real in my life, it's like, man, yeah, I, I, I relate with verse one now. You were angry with me, but your anger turned away. Just like every good and perfect father, that anger, that discipline is immediately followed up with love. I had to spank you. I had to discipline you. My wrath was poured out because I love you this much. Everybody knows John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. His anger was satisfied. His anger was resolved. His anger was totally canceled because of Jesus. And now he draws us close that you might comfort me. Verse two, behold, I love that word because it's like, it's like, hey, if you haven't experienced it yet, come see for yourself. It's kind of like, it's kind of like a rallying cry. Like, I want you to see for yourself what God has done for me. So let's all come see this together. This worship service that is hosted by Isaiah. He's saying, behold, God is my salvation. Come look, come see what God has done for me. I will trust, I will not be afraid, for the Lord God is my strength and my song. He's saying, listen, it used to be me. I used to be the answer to my strength. I used to be my salvation. I used to be the reason I would boast. It was, it was in me until I re realized how far I was from God and, 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 and I realized how dead I was in my sin. And now I realize it's not me, it's God. It's all God. The reason that I can have confidence, the reason I can have strength, the reason I can have peace, the reason why I'm singing is because he has become my salvation. And what do we do now? What do we do now? Verse three, with joy, we will draw water from the wells of our salvation. Have you seen your need for salvation? See, God being your salvation must mean that the worshiper realized that he was not his own salvation. Not he, not his good deeds, not his church membership, not his Christian upbringing, not his baptism, not his good intentions. Have you seen your need for salvation? Do you view God as someone who can just step in when you ask for help and tweak things for you? Or... Do you realize, God, do you view God as, as someone 
You desperately needed to rescue you from yourself. You see, if you haven't nailed down a time and a place where you accepted God's well of salvation on your behalf, it may be because you don't understand your need. You don't understand that you're drowning. Without Christ, we're all literally drowning in our sin. We're dying. We're on our way to a real place, a literal place called hell. And although 2020 might feel like a virtual hell to you, it is not. It can get a whole lot worse. And God, your Savior, your Rescuer, through the person of Jesus, He didn't come along to your drowning situation, and He didn't just jump out of His lifeboat and teach you the right moves how to swim, right? That would be like the Ten Commandments. He didn't just give you a a little pamphlet on how to swim. Hey, just read these 10 pages and you'll understand how to swim for yourself. I see you struggling. (laughs) Like I literally see you going down for your last breath. Read the pamphlet and you'll know how to swim. God didn't do that. That would be a self-help manual. That'd be like, well, just read the Bible and, and learn how to be a better person. And that'll eventually, you'll work your way to God. No, there was no time for that. See, there's urgency in this worship service because Isaiah knew, he knew how dead and broken and drowning he was without a rescuer. God didn't teach us how to swim. He didn't throw out a manual. No, he jumped in and he he gathered us up in his arms and he saved us. He dragged us into salvation. That's what he's saying, that God is my salvation. God is my strength. God is my song. And so when we get to verse three, when we get to the well verse here, it's like this. What other response could I bring? What other response could you bring back to the well of your your salvation other than complete and total joy? If you're a little apathetic about your personal testimony, if you're a little bit quesarasara about your salvation story, you don't understand that you were drowning. You don't understand that your life wasn't perfect. It wasn't good. It wasn't just average, but not great. God didn't just graduate you into a better life. No, he saved the whole thing. I was destined for hell. I was no good. I was used up. I was beat up until God saved me. And that is why the worshiper Isaiah can get to verse 3 and challenge all of us. What a challenge and a conviction this is to say, with joy we will draw water from the wells of salvation. That means that we go back early and often. We go back to our salvation story and we thank him and we praise him for what he did in our lives. When's the last time? When's the last time you went back to that well? Some of you have been believers for a short time. Some of us have been believers for a long time like myself. I've been walking with God for 30 plus years. And I am convicted by this verse because I do not go back to my well of salvation often enough. I do not go back with joy 
and draw water. So what does the water signify here, right? That's the whole ballgame. That's the whole question. What are we drawing out of our salvation? I'll give you a hint. In Philippians 2.12, it says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So there's fear and trembling on one end of the spectrum, which is totally appropriate. Isaiah brings a different perspective. He's like, I'm going to draw out water with joy because I'm so grateful and humbled and obligated because of this salvation. Not to earn salvation. I'm not obligated to earn my salvation. I'm not obligated to perform for my salvation. No, I'm obligated because of the salvation that I did nothing to receive. I did, I did nothing to get. I did nothing to earn. It was literally a, a rescue situation. It was an urgent situation. With joy, we draw water from the wells of our salvation. This water is strength. This water is, is the working out of it. This water is what our lives should look like because of the salvation. This water is rest, right? This water is a little bit of relaxation. It's saying the work is done. It's, it's the ability to say, I did nothing to earn it. I did nothing to achieve it. I can go back with joy and draw water, draw sustenance, draw peace. I can go back to this well and draw comfort. I can go back to this well and draw solace. I can go back to this well and draw grace. I can go back to this well and draw mercy. The most beautiful thing I think about salvation is that we as Christians get to use our salvation every day. And the ironic thing about it is that so many of us don't. You see, salvation is for saved people too. And I, and I preach a message like this a few years ago. It's called salvation is for the saved because so many of us experience God's grace and we, we taste his mercy, we taste his goodness, we taste the, the sacrifice that he made for us on the cross. It's like, it's like revving up. And, a, and I just watched Ford versus Ferrari a few weeks ago. And so it's like revving up a, a, a Ford GT, right? It's like revving it up, but never taking that sucker onto the track. So many Christians, they just, they just, they just dip their toes. They just taste a little bit of the salvation. Oh, cool. Yeah, I'm saved. I, I accept God's grace. But do you realize that that grace is a well? It's, it's a well of mercy. It's a well of forgiveness. It's a well of access that you can go back to and back to and back to again and again and again. And you can linger there and you can rest there and you can relax there. You can find comfort there for as long as you want. Salvation is not just a one and done thing. Yes, it's a one-time event where you accept Christ's sacrifice. Don't misunderstand me. But that is just the opening of the door. Now you get to experience it. Salvation is like a mansion, a, luxur a luxurious mansion that at the point of salvation, you get the keys to. 
You unlock the door, but so many Christians choose not to live in the mansion. They choose to live in the tent outside that they, that they made for themselves prior to Christ. And they live in the baggage, they live in the filth, they live in the mess. Although the whole time they have the key, they have this access. So the Bible says, with joy, we will draw water from the wells of our salvation. Proverbs twenty two twenty eight says it this way, return to the ancient landmarks of God's salvation. When we reflect on how God found us and saved us, we would revisit that well with joy as often and as unrestricted as we could, and we would linger, linger there as long as we could. Think about this. The God I didn't want wanted me. I was so messed up. I tripped and fell into his grace, but got there all the same. A wild and overwhelming love. All right, rabbit trail, and then we'll be done. I want to show you um, just a little bit more about verse three, and you can read verses four through six for yourself. It's, it's basically, uh, it, it gives us an outline to the proper response to our salvation. What we find in verses four through six is uh, the natural overflow of spending time at this well of salvation. What does this mean? It means thankfulness. It means prayer. It means evangelism and preaching. It means worship and praise. And above all else, it means celebration. (coughs) Excuse me. The natural overflow of spending time at the well of salvation is thankfulness, prayer, evangelism, preaching, worship, praise, celebration. You'll see all of those things in verses four through six. But really quick, before we're done, I want to show you a little bit about Jesus actually, literally being the well of salvation. What you don't know about this specific chapter in Isaiah is that Isaiah is referencing, this is so cool, and I hope that you can just kind of munch on this during lunch and the week after, but Isaiah is referencing the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Tabernacles. This was a it was, it was a, a week-long celebration. It was seven days, and it was capped, up on, capped, capped off on the eighth day. And the Jews were required to celebrate this event once a year, and it would fall somewhere in October, early October, for the, for the, um, like the modern-day calendar, um, although it was referred to as a different month in, in the Jewish times. But what they would do, it was a celebration of the harvest. It was a celebration of God's provision. So they would take their first fruits, they would take their grain, their fruits, their vegetables, they would take the, the best of their livestock, and they would give it back to God in the, in, the, in the worship form of sacrifices. And they would also, on the last day, catch this, on the last day of this feast, they would go down to the well of Siloam. And with a golden pitcher, they would draw out water from this well of Siloam and they would pour it into two silver basins. They would pour the water into one basin and then they would pour wine into the other basin. And on the last day, the eighth day, the Feast of Booths is technically over. And then on the last day, they would perform what they called a drink offering. 
I hope some bells are just going off on your head. On the last day, they would perform this drink offering where they took the water and they mixed it with wine and they would pour it over the sacrifice. They would pour it over the perfect, flawless, spotless sacrifice. And it would be referred to as the drink offering where where the sacrifice was poured out to God as, as an aroma, as a sweet aroma of a drink offering. And that's what he's referencing when he says, I will draw water from the wells of salvation. Let me show you a couple of things from John chapter seven and verse two. This is at the time of Jesus's crucifixion. And he says in chapter seven, verse two, now the Jews feast of booths was at hand. All right. So we're just getting a little perspective for what Jesus is going to say later on in this chapter. That was 7 verse 2. And now in the same chapter, verses 37 through 39, he says on the last day of the feast, what feast? The feast of booths. The great day. This is the eighth day, remember? Jesus stood up. Now what would cause him to stand up and cry out? If you don't have the context of the feast of booths, you would have no idea. Why is he standing up and shouting about this? But he says... If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Verse 38, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now he said this about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. As yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. I'm sorry, I'm a little drainage heavy today. But I hope that you're catching what's going on here. Jesus is saying, In a few days, I'm going to be sacrificed. I'm going to be poured out as a drink offering. You remember that? Remember when he said that? I think it's uh, in Matthew 19 at the Last Supper when Jesus is, when he's describing the elements of communion and he's saying, take this cup because I'm going to be poured out as a drink offering for you. He's referencing himself as being the ultimate sacrifice on the eighth day where the Jews would come and they would pour out the blood and the wine, or excuse me, the water and the wine on that final offering and catch this. Okay, I know. One more, but you got to catch this. You got to catch this or it doesn't all come together for you like it does for me. In chapter 19, the same book, we're still in John, chapter 19, this is at the, this is at Golgotha, this is at Calvary in verse 34, after Jesus had died, catch this, but when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs, which was a fulfillment of prophecy. And a lot of people get that. They understand that from Psalm 22. But what about verse 34? But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and at once there came out, what? The Bible says there came out blood and water. In other words, there came out wine and water. The fact that Jesus was crucified and he was already dead and that the soldier came along and pierced his side and and, 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 uh, blood and water came out together is the ultimate completion of the picture of the Feast of Booths, meaning that Jesus' body is literally, quite literally, not just figuratively, but Jesus' body actually does become the well of Siloam. With the, the actual well of salvation that they would draw out water and they would mix it with wine and they would pour it on the ultimate sacrifice on the eighth day. Is that, does that ring your joy bell or is it just me up here having a good time? 
I like it. Fine. I, I heard Serena. That was good. If you guys are going off in the chat on the live feed, cool. I can't see that, so I don't know if you're excited. But that gets me excited to study and to draw out more from my salvation. I really don't have time because it's already 43 minutes. I had a whole, I had a whole message prepared for you guys that I didn't get to, but it was talking about how we draw water. How, how do we work out this salvation? How do we live in our salvation as a Christian? I'll have to get to it later. But I just hope you get for now the fact that Jesus, the ultimate sacrifice, was poured out as water and wine, signifying God's blessing upon the whole earth for those who would believe in him. See, the thing about the well of salvation, the thing that we read in Isaiah is that we can go back, that we can go back again, that we can go back again, that we can draw again. In fact, the word is wells of salvation. Not just one well, but many wells. In other words, there's many times we need to go back and revisit the well. It's all from the same source. It's all from the same supply. Jesus being the well of our salvation, but we can go back and we can draw many different things out of the wells of our salvation. But I hope that you catch that really cool imagery of the Feast of Booths, also known as the Feast of Tabernacles. Don't get hung up on that. Two different names, same event, same feast. And that is just so cool. If you want more, I would read Psalm 22. Okay, read Psalm 22, read Matthew 26, 28. And then what we read today was John 7, 2, 37 to 39. And then John 19, 33 and 34. In closing, I would just say this. Now is a really good time to revisit that well. If 2020 hasn't rung your joy bell like it has for me, I'm saying that facetiously, obviously. I don't think anybody's walking away from 2020 saying, man, that was the perfect year for joy because I just felt so much joy all around me. Coronavirus, joy, baby. I don't think any of us are running around saying that. So what better time than in this season of a valley to go back and revisit this memorial, this well that's available to us that we're supposed to access as Christians. Go back and dig up waters from the well of our salvation. How much does it mean to you? That's the thing about it. I want to, I want to catalyze you and, and, and motivate you to think a little bit harder about your salvation. And if you've grown a little apathetic, if you've grown a little cold, if you've grown a little nonchalant, about your salvation and who you were before Christ and who you are because of Christ. Remember, without his anger, without his holiness and his wrathful justice, there would be no reason to worship and praise him. And I just want to say this quote again because I only got to say it once. Until I know how much he paid. You know he gave his life for you, right? He didn't just give a part of himself. He didn't just orchestrate some events from, from, from the throne room of heaven. No, he came down and he gave himself until I know how much he paid. I don't know whether to shake his hand or fall down on the ground and kiss his feet. Folks, your salvation is a well. It's a well that you can go back to with joy. It's a well that you can access. It's a well that should inspire feelings in you of thankfulness, of praise, of prayer, of rejoicing, of evangelism. We didn't even get to that part of evangelism. Listen, the only reason Will and I get up here is because we can't help but preach about God's word because of how he found us and saved us. In celebration 
I think you got, I think you, I think Decided Church does get a little credit for that because we're a celebration kind of church. We like to have parties. We like to have a good time. I'm sorry that I keep messing with my shoulder so much, but my, this wire is literally crawling on me. I'm going to end. I'm going to end so I can take this thing off, but I hope that you go back and you revisit this well of salvation. Now is a good time, Christian. Now is a good time, believer, to go back and access this well. And maybe not just run and grab a quick cup of water. Maybe this time you need to stay for a while. You need to linger. You need to, you need to marinate in these waters of forgiveness. This water and wine that was poured out for you. And maybe you need to ask God to create a little new wine in you. Do a little pressing. Do a little digging, do a little prodding and understand what exactly is he requiring of you? What exactly is your obligation because of this well of salvation that we can joyfully, we can joyfully revisit and give him praise and thanksgiving for? Let's pray. Jesus, a little scatterbrained, I apologize for that, a little all over the place but we should get excited. We should get amped up because of this well of salvation. God, I apologize that I'm guilty of feeling apathetic thoughts, feeling nonchalant thoughts, feeling a little bit lackadaisical at points about my salvation. Like how, how much has God really changed my life? A lot. An immeasurable amount, an incomprehensible amount. I was saved from myself. And I pray for the person, the individual here today who, who hasn't experienced this well. They don't, even, they don't even have access to this water yet. They don't know what it's like because they're still drowning. And to you, individual who's watching, that feels like you're still drowning. You need to get away from the self-help manuals and from the self-help instructions that this world tries to offer you, that religion tries to throw out you, you don't have a savior who got into the water and tried to teach you how to swim. You don't have a rescuer who got in the water and threw you a manual about how to swim. No, he got in the water and he saved you. He rescued you. He turned away his wrath from you and on his son. He satisfied his anger that you deserved and put it on his son so that he could come to you, so that he could draw you close, so that he could comfort you, so that he could be your salvation, your strength, your confidence, your song. And if you've never accepted that, anywhere you are, anywhere you are, at any point of life that you are in, you can come to Jesus at the cross and say, I trust in you, I believe in you. I accept your sacrifice on my behalf. You are the one who took God's wrath and God's judgment on my behalf. I didn't deserve it. I couldn't earn it. But God, I'm asking for you to save me based upon the work of Jesus Christ. And he will. He will right now in this moment today. He will save you because he was poured out for you on the cross in blood and, in blood and water, wine and water for you. The ultimate sacrifice at the peak of the Feast of Booths. He became that sacrifice that was poured out for you. A drink offering, if you will. Jesus, we're thankful for this well of salvation. I pray that every believer and every Christian would run back to that moment and run back with joy, and I pray they would linger there a little longer.
right, that we would linger there. It was good there. And it's, it's a good time to go back to the well of our salvation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.